This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. More than 3.5 million people in the UK had coronavirus last week. Anyone who thinks our battle with COVID is over, I'm afraid, is profoundly wrong. In England, that meant one in 15 people were infected. We now know that Omicron is milder than previous variants, so while hospital admissions are rising quickly, with over 15,000 COVID patients now in hospital in England alone, this is not yet, thankfully, translating into the same numbers needing intensive care that we saw in previous waves. For some, this won't be their first experience of COVID. As Omicron rapidly spread, it in many cases managed to evade both our vaccines and natural defences. So, how many of us are getting reinfected? And if, even with boosters, we can still catch COVID-19, what does that mean for isolation and our other public health measures in 2022? I would say we have a good chance of getting through uh, the Omicron wave uh, without the need for, uh, for further restrictions. From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. To catch up on what's been happening with Omicron, I spoke to Guardian Science Editor Ian Sample. Well, Ian, for a lot of families across the UK, it will have been a very stressful Christmas holiday. And so first off, it would be great if you could just take me through the numbers of where we are. When we spoke before the break, we were potentially facing an exponential rise in cases. Is this what we've seen? We've certainly seen a massive rise in cases, as predicted. I mean, the UK broke another pandemic record this week. We reported more than 200,000 daily cases on Tuesday. That did include a backlog for a few days from Northern Ireland and Wales, but it's still an awful lot of cases. And hospitalizations are rising steeply too on the back of those. I mean, nowhere near as steeply as they did last January, but they're still rising. And we're at about 2,000 daily hospitalizations at the moment, but that number's expected to keep on rising simply because the cases are still rising. As this variant spreads beyond London and starts having an impact uh, around the country. And potentially these may also rise because so far we've seen the virus largely spread in younger age groups too, right? Yeah, that's right. So a lot of the spread that we saw initially is 
in the sort of under-59s, really, it looks as if cases in that age group, at least in London, have plateaued, may even be falling. What is yet to be seen is what will happen in the older age groups. And the cases are still rising very clearly in the 60s and over. And that's really important because despite vaccination, despite boosters, they're the ones who are still going to be most vulnerable. And the huge rise in cases isn't just because we got together with family at Christmas or we went to a New Year's Eve party. It is because Omicron is very good at evading our immunity, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's actually just really good at infecting cells. So what happens is a lot of the mutations in the spike protein of Omicron actually allow it to bind more strongly to the receptor on your human cells. And so that sort of enables the virus to get in. So if you can imagine a variant that wasn't so good at that, even though you might inhale some when you're going out and about, only a tiny amount or or none may actually latch on and be able to infect your cells. But with Omicron, it's just that much better at doing this. But also, it seems to be able to replicate a lot more rapidly in the upper upper airways. That enables them to actually shed a lot of this virus when they're talking, when they're shouting in a nightclub, or when they're coughing and whatnot. Obviously, we know as well that it's very good at evading antibodies that we've had from older COVID infections from other variants or from the vaccines that were basically designed against the original strain that came out of, of Wuhan. So there are a few different reasons why Omicron is so much more transmissible, but I want to get into it evading our immune systems because for a lot of people who have caught Omicron, it isn't their first COVID-19 infection. So what information do we have about exactly how many people are getting reinfected? One of the studies on this has shown that if you've had COVID before, you're about five and a half times more likely to be reinfected with Omicron than you would have been with Delta. So reinfections are a more common issue with Omicron than they were with with Delta. And Professor Neil Ferguson, the epidemiologist at Imperial College, has said that about 10 to 15 percent of Omicron cases are reinfections. It's actually quite hard to get a handle on how many that actually is because the data for England that are published, at least, don't include reinfections. We only report the first confirmed infections, if you like. So the numbers that we see every day, that doesn't include people who have been infected before. No, that's right. So we don't publish reinfections at all. I mean, well, Wales does to some extent, if someone is reinfected after about 42 days, I think it is. But England, Scotland, Northern Ireland, at the moment at least, only publish your first infection. So if you've been infected before, you don't reappear on the tracking that is published on the on the, the dashboard, as, as we call it. So now the number of reinfections is becoming quite significant, 10 to 15% potentially. What does knowing more about the number of reinfections help us understand what information can we gain from tracking this? Well, so if you think, if you have a lot of cases or a background of cases, you need to be able to spot if there is a fast rising variant among those, which may not, may be masked by other infections. If you're just looking at COVID full stop, that could mask a new variant coming in that is actually rising fast. 
but hasn't yet punched through your background of COVID cases. But you want to be aware that it's coming so that you can take preparations and prepare your health service and bring in any interventions that might help if that's going to happen, as we seem to have had happen over the past two winters, a new variant pops up just before Christmas. You'll need to know when you want to bring in some kind of you know soft measures to say to people, okay, that a new variant has arrived. You may want to wear masks on public transport and, and, and all the rest of it. I mean, it's just to have that situational awareness, if you like, of what's going on in an epidemic and a pandemic driven by multiple variants. Ian, another issue that I wanted to ask you about is isolation. I mean, one of the challenges about having this huge wave of cases is that not only that people are being hospitalised and are becoming very unwell, but lots of people who have it mildly are still off sick and isolating, including health staff, bin collectors, train drivers. I mean, I could list innumerable jobs. And so some people are calling for the period for isolation to be shortened again to five days, which would be following the US's current position. What's the data behind how long we should be isolating for? So what the US have done is, I mean, they've halved their isolation time from 10 days to five days. But this is if you're asymptomatic. And what's really interesting about that advice is you don't need a negative lateral flow test to get out of isolation. You do have to wear a mask around others for five further days. And the the evidence that they are using for that is um, basically the US CDC has said that most transmission, in their view, is in the two to three days before symptoms come on. Now, the UK has chosen not to go that far at the moment. I mean, you you can see there's an obvious benefit if you can have people isolating for a short amount of time, and the shorter the better, obviously, because then people can go back to work. I mean, there's all these crucial jobs that can't be done from home and you have to have people in hospitals you have to have people doing deliveries and doing public transport and and so many jobs that you just cannot do from your box room and what the uk has done is they basically said you have to isolate once you've tested positive but if you have negative tests on day six and seven then you can come out on day seven or if it's you have a negative test on day seven and eight you can come out on day eight and so on but you need two consecutive negative LFT tests in two days before you can get out early. Otherwise, you're isolating for 10 days. I think a question that has been gnawing away at me is that if the protection from three jabs and sometimes prior infection as well, people are still catching Omicron, do we need to rethink what happens in the long term? Professor Sir Andrew Pollard, one of the people who helped develop the AstraZeneca vaccine, said on Tuesday that it's neither sustainable nor affordable to offer jabs every six months or potentially even more often. So do we need a different approach going forward? This year is going to be very interesting for that. I don't know how far we'll get with multivalent vaccines. So these are vaccines that target more than one variant of COVID. And no one wants to be going for jabs every every few months or every six months. But you can imagine that it would fall in line with with the flu jab, where the flu jab has three or four variants, essentially, strains that you are protected against. 
And you can see that happening with 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 COVID as well. You maybe you maybe have it combined with your flu shot. You know, maybe just get people through the winter because, as Andrew Pollard said, I mean, it's not sustainable or affordable to give people so many of these shots all the time. And and it's also morally wrong, given how high the vaccination rates are in in, in the developed world compared with how they are in some of the sort of low income countries. I Means some countries are still have like less than 10% of people having received one shot. And we're talking about whether we're going to have fourth doses. I mean, you know, the, the inequality there is extreme and and it's it's ridiculous. I mean, we need to this year absolutely redouble those efforts to get vaccines out to the rest of the world. And remember that getting the vaccines out to the rest of the world is not only the right thing to do for them, but it's, it's also in our self-interest. I mean, the more people who are vaccinated around the world, the, the less risk there is of a new variant popping up anywhere that this virus is surging. And some scientists and health experts in the British Medical Journal have suggested that alongside a global vaccine policy, we should be normalising other public health measures so that every single winter the NHS isn't becoming overwhelmed with both flu and COVID. And some of those seem very reasonable, ventilation, masks. What do you make of this? I think it's a no-brainer. It's something that some of the scientists advising the government have been saying throughout, but I'm not sure their voices have been heard strongly enough, is that we should really have been putting way more effort into making places COVID safe rather than having really strict lockdowns. And it would be a real shame if we don't learn the lessons from the past two years. And ventilation, mask wearing, hand hygiene, I think it would be absolutely sensible to continue those at least through the winters as, as a standard thing we do as a part of our behaviour. My thanks to Ian Sample for joining me on the podcast today. And you will be hearing more from him. And not just on COVID, as I'm delighted to say that Ian is getting back into the presenting chair, co-hosting with me from next week. He'll be kicking off with a great episode about a new mission to one of the planet's most important glaciers, the Thwaites Glacier in Antarctica, which is now rapidly melting. The mission to understand what's happening and how it could affect sea level rises around the world features none other than Boaty McBoatface. So definitely tune in for that one. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>